This week's podcast proudly brought to you by Kent Cartridge. See, I made the mistake of buying the cheapest shot shells I could find when I first started duck hunting, and I would literally watch feathers fly off of birds as they gave me a middle finger and flew off unscathed. That's when I switched over to Kent, and I was bartending and waiting tables at the time in college, and money was tight, but Kent offered me a great product at a fair price, and I've never looked back. Of course, now we have uh, Fast Steel 2.0. They just released Fast Steel Plus for this upcoming season, and with Dove season on the horizon, we've got Steel Dove, and then Teal Steel for early teal season. Whatever your shotgunning needs are for this fall, Kent has you covered. You can find all of their products at kentcartridge.com. This week's show brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, an organization that I've been plugged into for, gosh, over 15 years now. From the Alaskan wilderness to the Atlantic Flyway, across America's Great Plains, and down the Mississippi Delta, Ducks Unlimited has been leading the way in wetlands conservation since 1937. The DU family has ensured the protection of over 16 million acres of waterfowl habitat. Think about that. So, come join us. You too can carry on DU's conservation legacy. Visit ducks.org to find your local event and join our volunteer team, Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. Christmas in Texas, it'll be about 103. Christmas in Texas, watching the snow falling on TV. Christmas in Texas, I better grab another bag of ice. Christmas in Texas, cause warm on star beer ain't nice. Uh-huh. Alright, Cable Smith welcoming everybody into episode 706 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. It is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. Thanks for dropping by today, sharing a part of your holiday season with me. And this is the Christmas special, which all that means is uh, you're going to hear Christmas music, my favorite Christmas songs throughout today's broadcast. So if you're a real Scrooge, sorry about you. I make no apologies. I love Christmas music. I love the spirit of Christmas. I've got a decade old Spotify playlist that I'm always adding to. And the kids certainly enjoy that. That's what uh, is on in our house uh, throughout the holidays nonstop. And uh, yeah, I, I just absolutely enjoy all of it when it comes to Christmas and including Christmas movies, which I watched a classic this week. And and my dad forever has said, It's a Wonderful Life is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. And I'm like, eh, you know, I think I tried to watch it when I was like 18 and yeah, this is in black and white and it's kind of slow and I don't, uh-uh, no dad, you're crazy. I went back and watched it as a 42-year-old father and uh, I had my rankings all set, you know, Christmas Vacation number one, uh, Elf number two, A Christmas Story number three. And if I had to say, I'd put Home Alone four. And uh, now I've got to tell you, It's a Wonderful Life jumped all the way up to two. It pulled in Alabama, jumping over Florida State, because I was like, I can't move A Christmas Story down. That's a classic. So Elf, you got bumped. You are now number four. Home Alone 5 in my all-time Christmas movie rankings. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Um, when you uh, Maybe when you email in for today's giveaway, uh, let me know. I'd love, to, uh, I'd love to find out. Maybe I missed one. I'd love to see what you and your family enjoy during the holiday season. 
Um, what are we doing today? Let me tell you. You know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And joining us for the duration will be Hunt Stan's Josh Dalkey. And uh, Josh is a passionate whitetail hunter, uh, turkey hunter, and uh, spent a lot of time chasing elk and mule deer out west as well. Uh, but we're really going to get into how this technology has changed the game for hunters. And, and it's not just uh, mapping technology. I mean, trail cameras. Um, I think maybe those two are the biggest that have really altered the landscape as far as how we break down not just our deer lease, but uh, you know, a, a specific part of a mountain range on a western big game hunt. Or, uh, you know, looking for places, to hunt, knocking on doors. Well, uh, how, do, how do you find out who the landowner is? Well, the, the app just tells you. I mean, um, yeah, it's completely revolutionized over the last, I'd say, 10 years how we go about pursuing our passion. And, uh, and I'm one of those guys who's always like, ah, technology, it's a double-edged sword. This is one of the positives. No doubt about that. So looking forward to getting into all of that with Josh coming up here. In, uh, and you know what? We also might talk a little CWD. I know he lives up in the uh, Great Lakes area. And there's certainly no strangers to CWD up there. Uh, you guys know how I feel about it. It's real. So is COVID. Uh, but when state wildlife agencies are getting millions and millions of dollars to surveil it, well, follow the money trail, right? Uh, so we'll visit with Josh here in just a moment. Um, let's knock out a giveaway, and we're going to give away a hunt stand membership. It's a pro whitetail membership. That is their premier package. It comes with all the bells and whistles, which I'm sure we'll talk about here uh, during today's presentation. Uh, but, re but specifically, the 15-day whitetail activity forecast with peak whitetail movement times and the annual us rut map uh so cool stuff on that front and why don't you just email the word whitetail that's whitetail to lone star outdoor show at gmail.com include your favorite christmas movie if you want don't have to uh, but just a whitetail to that email address lone star outdoor show at gmail.com and you are entered into today's hunt stand giveaway coming up next we're talking whitetail deer and mapping applications with josh dalkey on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Christmas in Dixie. It's snowing in the pines. Merry Christmas from Dixie. To everyone tonight. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? 
drive you out to the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead? No, I'm doing just fine, Clark. There's no better way to spend the holiday. It's Christmas and I'm snowed in with you. Gary P. Nunn bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by today as we are all set to dive into things with Hunt Stands' Josh Dahlke. First, though, the segment brought to you by Mossberg and the 940 Pro Waterfowl. It's what I'm taking into the duck blind with me. Uh, well, it's what I've been using for the past three years. But the 940 Pro Waterfowl is the continued evolution of Mossberg's semi-auto-loading platform. And you don't have to clean this thing. That's why I love it so much. Because uh, I want to put it in the gun safe, pull it out, and go hunting. (laughs) I want it to shoot when I do that. When I neglect my gun, I want it to still work. See the irony there? Uh, But yes, it is the 940 Pro Waterfowl. And it is awesome. You can find it at Mossberg.com. All right, well, let's bring him on right now. Joining us from somewhere, I believe, in maybe the Midwest or the Great Lakes. Not real sure. Uh, I bet they have wolves there, though. It's my pleasure to welcome Hunt Stands, Josh Dalkey, to the show. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here today. Something to something to do on December when uh, most of my deer hunting is tapered off. Yeah. Speaking of that, how was your fall? You know, it was pretty good. I had some some solid success. Uh, I hunt my family's farm in central Minnesota. I have that's kind of where I started deer hunting when I was a kid, and uh, actually ended up shooting my biggest whitetail of my life there this year during slug season. It's a deer I'd been watching for a year, and was fortunate to connect with him. And then uh, recently had some success in Oklahoma, um, which was a whole lot of fun. We had a camp out there. We just set up a wall tent on an oil pad, and nice just went out there and chase some of those deer, but I've been struggling in Wisconsin. I've been hunting that. I've, I've got well over a hundred hours on stand over there and uh, man, it's just been one thing after another. So I don't know if I'm going to catch up with one before the season closes or before they drop their antlers. And so wait, where did you say you shot your biggest whitetail? That's uh, in central Minnesota. My family has a farm there. It's actually three different parcels, but mm-hmm. um, collectively we've kind of had that for about 130 years. Nice. Yeah. And so what is, uh, what, I mean, what did it score? I mean, that's a trophy obviously is relative to where you shot it and the person that shot it. Right. I mean, every, a trophy means something different to everybody, but you know, it's your biggest whitetail and you probably yeah. put a tape to him or have an idea of what it scored. I did. It's actually the first deer I've ever shot that I have put a tape to. I just had my taxidermist do it when I brought it, brought his, uh, hide and antlers in there to drop them off. And, um, he, he green scored him at 157. So oh, wow. I'll probably end up getting him. I'll, I'll have someone throw another one on there just because it's so close to the 160 mark. I'd, I'd just be curious to know if he did crack that. Yeah. But uh, either way, he was um, he was either five and a half or six and a half. Come to find out the neighbor was also after him. So he had some more history and mm. uh, I'd never met this guy before. And he randomly found me through Facebook and he had we have a we have a big buck contest old school small town stuff in minnesota i went in there to go weigh my deer with no intention of trying to put it in any sort of contest or anything and kid who works there is like hey you want to put your deer in the contest i'm like well hmm. how, how much does that cost he's like oh it's free you just we'll just uh weigh them and take your picture and that's it and i'm like all right well i don't plan on winning the contest but i might as well enter it anyways it's kind of fun and uh 
lo and behold, my picture's up on this board with probably 50, 60 other people. Mm. And dude is looking through the pictures, recognizes the deer, even though it's hanging upside down from a skin. Somehow tracks me down through Facebook. And I try to maintain a pretty low profile up there and pretty much anywhere I go. I I just kind of keep to myself and whatnot. And uh, he hits me up and long story short, he's got a bunch of history with the deer and he's got the last two years of matched sheds that he's demanded mm. to give to me to go with the mount, which is unreal. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. like And I like hearing stuff. I mean, hunters at our core, good, good people. Uh, for sure. So is the contest done by body weight or is that 157 the, uh, the marker? It's by body weight. Uh, that's how a lot this of... This is an old school. I mean, this is like... Yeah. You know, most contests these days are done by, well, okay, how big are the antlers? You know, like what kind of rack does it have? So this is actual, like, who shot the biggest actual animal? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, uh, I don't know, I can't remember how they split it up, but they've got, like, they've got, like, a couple different ranges. Mm -hmm. So, like, I think it's, like, I think it's, like, under 200 pounds and over 200 pounds or something like that. And my deer actually didn't even weigh that much. Um I don't know if he was just uh, if he had lost a bunch of weight or if he just didn't have that big of a body to begin with. The pictures seemed like he had a pretty stocky body, but then hmm. I killed him like midway through the rut, so I'm sure he lost something. But um, no, there were definitely a lot of bigger bodied deer that were killed up there. I mean, we're in central Minnesota, so you know we're not all that far from Canada. And uh, do you have I'm wolves? Sure. What's that? Do you have wolves up there? Unfortunately. Um, we just got our first wolf on camera this year. Uh, and, uh, they've just been cascading south. I mean, that's been the trend for the last 15, 20 years. It is a real problem. There actually is a somewhat of an uprising going on right now. In fact, I was thinking about going to a meeting this evening. There's a group in Minnesota called Hunters for Hunters that formed, and that's been kind of their main deal. Um, People are very upset with the state and federal government for not looking at it from a more objective management perspective for wolf management in Minnesota. And well, I mean, it's a real problem. I think Minnesota's hands are tied, though, right? Like it's the feds that are like because um, the Western states, uh, well, three, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, they can have wolf seasons. They can attempt to manage their own wolf uh, populations to a certain extent. The Great Lakes region has no wolf season. They're federally protected there. And for what reason? Nobody seems to know other than it's all politics and an emotionally driven thing. Um, but I, I saw an article last week in Outdoor Life, and it may be the group that you were mentioning, Hunters for Hunters, was in there. I don't recall their name, but uh, it was essentially Minnesota Hunters, uh, an outcry saying, hey, we are not seeing the deer that we're used to seeing historically and it's because of wolves. They're, you can't, you know, you you can't let apex predators continue to just go unchecked. And we harp on that all the time on this program. The listeners are well; they might be tired of me saying that, but here's another example from a state that we don't typically touch on, Minnesota. And uh, and you just said you got your first wolf on camera, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Man, with any aspect of wildlife management, there are always way more factors um than just one but this is a big one 
and it's become apparent that it's a big one. And uh, we've watched it happen now for, like I said, I mean, it's probably even been, I don't know, I bet you it's been closer to like 15, 20 years that we've really started to see the decline. Um, it's It became more noticeable to me within the last like 10 years. Mm-hmm. It went from just in passing, talking to other deer hunters from Minnesota, because I mean, our historically, our, our our more traditional deer camps were in the northern half of the state. Um, and the southern half of the state is a little bit newer in, in terms of like historical terms for deer hunting. So the, the, the real traditional deer camps are still in the northern half of the state. And that goes for Wisconsin as well. But they're they're evaporating. People are just they're not going anymore because it, it you just started hearing stories. Yep. Only saw a few deer, a lot of wolf tracks. And now it's like we saw no deer. There's wolf tracks every square foot. My brother was just up hunting there a couple of weeks ago for muzzleloader season. Uh-huh. Same thing. He said, you couldn't stand this road that they were on. I think this road is like eight miles long. He said, you couldn't stand on any stretch of the road without seeing wolf tracks crossing it. And they didn't see, uh, while they were hunting, I don't think they saw one deer, not one. Wow. Um, which is just, I mean, that's just absurd. If you're out there, even just for a three-day hunt with uh, six guys, covering a bunch of ground and you don't see a whitetail like that's a big problem yeah now, our winters are a big part of it and there are some other things and uh, you know habitat blah 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 but man i tell you what when you get three four feet of snow like we did last year and the wolves can just dominate running on that stuff and the the, the deer are all yarded up in winter herds and they can't move through the snow very fast it's just easy pickings. A, a, a pack of wolves can come in and just have a frenzy. And if they wipe out one wintering herd, you can wipe out the huntable population for a large area because those are deer that have congregated from a huge radius. And as we've seen time and time again, they don't just eat what they need. Like we like, to, yeah. people like to believe. Common myth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, imagine if you were a wolf, if you were a canine, and you, a bunch of you and your buddies ran into a bunch of food, you aren't going to stop snapping necks until <laughs> movement ceases. Right. Right. You're not yeah. just going to be like, I mean, they're, they're dogs. Watch how, watch how dogs, regular domestic dogs interact. Um, like, do they, they kill when the, when the dog gets into the chicken coop, does he just kill one chicken? Exactly. No, he, he goes, I've seen it firsthand when I was a kid. We had yeah. pit bulls get in our and nothing against pit bulls, uh, but that's what they were. And they got in our chicken coop and they killed every chicken in there. They didn't eat any of them. They just killed them to kill them. And those are domestic dogs generally know better too. And, you know, those, those wild dogs are, they don't have to face any repercussions from anybody. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get kenneled up or, slapped on the ass for going in the chicken coop they're just going to go about their business so in minnesota they're not going to get shot so yeah it's a big problem um yeah. but i think the the uh, the only thing we can do is continue to raise hell and try to get somebody's attention you know um and so we'll continue to do that because it's it's utterly ridiculous that they keep that they're placed on a pedestal when we know that like um population wise 
they don't, it doesn't warrant it. They're fine. They're doing great. They're moving south. Why? Because they're killing all the deer up there. Now they got to go find more deer. Mm-hmm. You got to expand the range. Um, enough about that. Tell us about yourself. Uh, you, you, I mean, obviously you're a big whitetail hunter. Do you enjoy hunting other things? I do. Yeah. I, I hunt basically everything I can. Um, I try mm-hmm. to do a bunch of different things year to year. There was actually probably a five or six year phase where, um, I didn't whitetail hunt a whole lot. I just got so obsessed with doing the whole Western stuff that I spent most of my time in the fall out there. So, um, mule deer and pronghorn. And I've, I, I did caribou a couple of years ago up in the Arctic circle and, um, turkeys are, are the, the kryptonite for me. I hunt. Now you smiled when you said that. So I could see it in your eyes. Like, yeah, this dude likes his, his spring turkey hunting. I've, I'm the same yeah. way. I can't even help it. Yeah. yeah. It's, a lot of, a lot of guys just think it's don't take it seriously, especially like hardcore whitetail hunters or big game hunters. I do both, but when spring hits, I'll go from mid March to June 1st, every spring as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. That's we my... get four tags in Texas. So, you know, we we're, we're very blessed in that aspect. Yeah. Um, well, Josh, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back and really get into how mapping applications have changed the game for hunters. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by NUMA, geared for the outdoors. You know, I chose to leave First Light three years ago and sign on with NUMA because philosophically, that's where I align. Uh, they support the Second Amendment unequivocally. They are good old South Texas owned, and uh, they make some really kick-ass gear. You can find their entire lineup of outdoor apparel and uh, and support me as well by uh, telling Numa you heard about them through the show. And if you do that by just using the promo code Lone Star Twenty, you'll save twenty percent off your entire Numa order. So awesome gear, awesome company. I'm a huge fan, and I know you'll love their outdoor apparel as well. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I am a Let me tell you about the Armorsite 640 contractor. It is the industry-leading thermal technology in a very user-friendly rifle scope. A 640 Armacore 12 Micro made in the USA Thermal Core. It's got a four-hour onboard recording, four-hour runtime on a full charge, USB and Wi-Fi streaming, uh, eight user-selectable reticles and six color palettes, and the most user-friendly interface out there because you're operating these things in the dark. So uh, that's very important. You can find the contractor, the 640, or its little brother, the 320, right there at armorsite.com. Looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW? Then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Let it be Christmas everywhere. Let heavenly music fill the air. 
Let every heart sing, let every bell ring A story of hope and joy and peace And let it be Christmas everywhere Let heavenly music fill the air Cable Smith, welcome let everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show Presented by Mossberg Firearms, little Alan Jackson One of my favorites there, Let It Be Christmas Bringing us back. Uh, thank you so much for being here today as we are visiting with uh, Hunt Stands' Josh Dalkey. And we'll get back into that conversation in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by Vortex Optics. You know, maybe you didn't get what you wanted this Christmas. Maybe you didn't need anything and you didn't ask for anything. But uh, there's something that's been grabbing your eye. And, and I'm not talking about that ugly sweater that uh, Grandma knitted for you. No, Grandma, you should have done your shopping at Vortex Optics, where you can find all the latest Vortex apparel, including stuff like the uh, sleek and stylish Caltech flannel shirt. I'll be honest, I wear it to church, I wear it to the dearlies, I wear it to go fishing. If I was going to the bar, which I don't really go to the bar much these days, but if I was, eh, I'd probably wear that as well. Uh, They've got warm winter uh, hunting socks. They've got Hunter Orange stuff if you're in a state that requires you to wear that. They've got tons of apparel options, plus all of their great uh, hoodies and t-shirts and caps that they're well known for. So if you're celebrating the holidays by doing a little extracurricular shopping for yourself, just head over to VortexOptics.com. Use that promo code LONESTAR20 when you check out and you will save 20% off your entire apparel order. Okay. Well, let's pick it back up uh, with our friend, Josh Donkey. So, Josh, tell us a little bit about what you do over at HuntStand and uh, how long you've been there. And then I know you mentioned, as we were trying to line up a time for this interview, uh, that you were also out filming a hunt recently. I don't know if that's uh, something you do on the side or if that's part of your responsibilities uh, at HuntStand. Yeah, I mean, just... The quick story, my background um, started at Hunting Magazine 13 years ago when I first got into the quote-unquote hunting industry and uh, just kind of evolved from there. Um, Ended up going from that Hunting Magazine to doing a lot of freelance for most of the national publications Um, and then ended up taking a job with one of the very first mobile apps for hunting called Scout Look that existed. Um, basically hunt stand scout look and on X were the first hunting serious hunting apps, mapping applications. Um, there were some like game call apps and like, you know, a, a sunrise sunset app out there for hunters at the time. But in terms of a, a robust app, um, those were the, the three that really kicked it off were scout look hunt stand. And then when on X transitioned from just offering the, um, micro SD in your, in your GPS units to go on mobile. We all kind of did that around that same time within about a year. Yeah. And so scout look and hunt stand had a heavy focus in the whitetail market from day one. We were competitors, very similar feature sets. Um, and long story short, ended up deciding that it made more sense to join forces than to keep trying to compete against each other. So scout look rolled into hunt stand, uh, about three, four years ago now, I can't even keep track, and um, joined uh, the Hunt Stand team. So with that, with my role, a big part of what I did at Scout Look, um, well, it was everything because there was only a hand, there was like three of us <laughs> running the company. 
but uh, content, because it's always been something that I've been passionate about. And that's what my background comes with a, a journalism degree and all that. Um, that was one thing that Scout Look had a lot of. So just between articles and emails and video content, we did a lot of that there. We brought that over into Hunt Stand um, across all those channels and then also social media. And um, it was kind of just the match made in heaven. Hunt Stand was excelling on the technology side. Scout Look was doing a little bit better on the, the media and marketing side. And um, we just joined forces and the rest is history. So did Hunt Stand ever have those chips? Because I know I have a pile of like on X ones somewhere that I, I can't believe we used to do that. Right. But then we also yeah. <laughs> used to, uh, and I still have a few stealth cams where I actually, you know, I want really good video. So I, you know, maybe I, I still have a few that where I'm checking the SD cards, but I do too. SD cards yeah. are like becoming obsolete slowly, but surely they and, are for sure. Yeah. It's funny to look back on how this, this stuff specifically cell cameras and this mapping technology has changed probably more than anything else I can think of in the hunting industry in the last decade. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, you get a new compound bow. Congrats. You sh now you're shooting 10 FPS faster than you were last year. Right. Not, minimal <laughs> difference, you know, but this stuff yeah. is just like, Whoa, five years ago, you know, we were paying uh, $20 a camera for, uh, you know, a monthly fee. Now you can five bucks for, you know, 500 photo, whatever it is. It's, yeah. that's just one example, but it, it's all changed. The cameras are smaller. I think they're more durable, even though they're smaller, they're more affordable. I remember the first GX wireless I had, I think those were like 350 bucks or something. Now you can get a fusion yeah. or a deceptor for like, you know, $120 or something, you know, minimal. It's crazy. <clears throat> well, you made a good point though. I mean, it is a uh, fundamentally, it's probably the, the most important or I guess impactful change that we've seen um or i guess catalyst for change is on the the mobile mapping side really mm -hmm. because what that's done is we, we we always talk about the challenges of access as hunters um that has increased access easily single-handedly more than anything that we've ever done um and as a result people are able to a make more of their time that they do have and spend more time and go deeper, go farther, all that kind of stuff. So everything else has followed suit. Um, like you talk about, you use the bow reference, might be shooting 10 feet per second faster, or it's it's four pounds lighter. Well, right. If you, when people were just walking 100 yards to a deer stand and climbing in a tree, that, that four pounds probably didn't matter as much. But now that people are you know, hunting from saddles and going deep into public land and, you know, canoeing down rivers and et cetera. Like, I, I think just that level of access and it's kind of like driven people a little more hardcore at every level and all the other gear had to follow suit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but then there's other things like, um, there on my deer lease out West, there's this one pond. It's like, uh, Everyone, and you could see it from one of the county roads, and uh, but it's kind of tucked back in there. But if you drive by slow enough, you can see if there's ducks on it. And I was talking to the guys in camp, and I'm relatively new. I'm, this is only my second season on the lease. And I was like, is that on our property? Every one of those guys said, yes, it is, but we nobody's ever hunted it. 
Um, and they all, they all thought it was. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go just go over there and take a look and see where I could set up with the dog tomorrow for tomorrow. I get over there and I have to cross a fence. And I'm like, hold on. Those guys don't, they've, I don't, first of all, I don't think they're duck hunters. And I mean, I love duck hunting too. Um, almost, I would say it's probably my first love. Um, oh, oh yeah. I see. Now yeah. I feel like I know you better. well it's it's kind of changed over the years but it was my first love i just because i just love hunting with dogs and so i get to that fence and i'm like this doesn't add up and so i just pull up hunt stand and like look and i'm it's not on our property it's literally 10 yards on the other side of the fence Mm -hmm. and um you know so that's that's one of the things that you know i think is certainly changed too is keeping people um where they're supposed to be keeping hunters out of trouble uh and and when there's a fence obviously it's a dead giveaway but a lot of times um you know public land boundaries end here property line boundaries end here and really with the technology that's out there there's not a lot of i don't think the excuses are as viable as they once were like because you can just everyone has it if you're a serious hunter you probably have a mapping app i would think yeah yeah, no, it's been a game changer for that. And I, interestingly, I'll even tell you on the flip side, I've heard of a number of situations now just just through people and in, in passing where it's gone the other way, where um, some old boundary or some old fence that was up was actually inside of their perimeter. And so oh, maybe that pond is ours then. There's been some land battles, man. <laughs> like this, this place I was hunting out in Nebraska, he's like, yeah, you see that fence right there? He's like, I didn't realize it, but until I was using your app, that's actually like 200 yards inside our property. But sort of like common law, I guess, um, but more just like culturally, I'm like, well, sh- are you going to start hunting that now? He's like, no, like I'm not yeah. trying to get into cause a big war with the neighbors. But technically, if they were to survey this land, yeah. that's on ours, you know, but some people have actually I have a buddy who gained like five acres on his mother-in-law's property Hmm. which it was already a small property i think it was only like 20 or something so he gained five that were theirs and they had to take it to court but man i mean you're paying you're paying property taxes on it and this and that and like if it's it's your ground it's your ground so there's a there's a fine line there i mean if you got a three hundred thousand acre ranch and you're going to cause a war over a, a little stretch that's different but he just he just gained you know 25% of the property right right um so this is my first season using huntstand been very pleased with the apps functionality you know i'm i'm really wading through right now trying to familiarize myself with it and you were showing me one of the other cool features about huntstand is that it's owned by uh, gsm which owns stealth cam and muddy cameras so if you have any of those cellular cellular cameras you can link it right up to the uh, mapping application and um, integrate it that way which is super cool Um, one of the other things that i really like about it is the weather um real-time weather and and i don't know how many people if they don't pay attention to this, how many hunters they should, because I firmly believe in the salooner table in major and minor feeding phases. 
and that's also included right here. So a lot of people pay just for like a you know a subscription just to have that. I mean, I know one of my best friends does. It's like I don't know, it's five dollars a month, and he has it on this little app. I'm like, hey, you just now it's included in your in your map. Yeah, it's right here. So so convenient. Um, so cool little things that I'm I'm finding out as I'm you know playing around with it. Obviously, property lines is a huge part. Um, that's I mean, like we were just talking about. I think that's probably the number one thing people are using a mapping application for. Um, and then um, we also need to mention the rut predictor from a white sale uh, standpoint, and that will essentially I, you can. That would be an interesting, interesting thing for you to explain is how you guys have compiled all that data for an entire country on, you know, how to predict the premier hunting dates in each geographic region. Yeah, that's that's something that uh, we're quite proud of because it took a significant amount of time and resources to make that happen. So there are a lot of uh, predictors of whitetail activity out there um we realize that and uh let's face it some of that stuff becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because you're probably going to go hunt when some if you're if you're relying on a tool like that you're probably going to focus most of your time out in the field when you're using a tool like that and you're going to go when it says it's going to be good and naturally certain number of those times you're going to shoot something so you're going to kind of um it's 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 going to be uh self-fulfilling whether it's whether it's scientifically accurate or not you're going to have if you spend time in the field especially like during the rut for instance like the odds are in your favor that something's going to end up walking in front of you at some point yeah i I hated the rut this year i'm not gonna lie just uh, totally (laughs) side note like it was terrible I, i it was the middle of the rut but i don't know i mean where where i was set up they were as soon as the rut was over here come the bucks all bachelored back up they're done trying yeah. to stab each other shank each other and they're all buddy buddy and like hey let's have a beer and you know <laughs> forget, let's forget about all that stuff we did to each other the last two and a half weeks or whatever right but yeah i don't know it was a crazy it was just not a lot of uh activity we had to have a we did have a full moon during the rut this year too so i'm sure that affected it a little bit when i was out when i had the opportunity to go anyway yeah i mean it's it's crazy how much it can be hit or miss or even just uh you know you move 200 yards this way or 200 yards that way Mm. and the whole thing might change but um with our our whitetail activity forecast that we have to boil it down um we have a gentleman on our team named brian murphy he's one of the foremost whitetail experts period of all time um and for what he doesn't know he's able to make up for because he's in that he runs with that circle of scientists and biologists and whitetail guys um Mm -hmm. or the top dogs uh the guys who have you know have all the credentials at universities and have written books and all the names that you could ever think of you know he runs with them so um brian joined our team and one of the biggest projects he took on was building out this whitetail activity forecast and being the fact that he is a biologist um, there were going to be no smoke and mirrors or he didn't want any part of it. It was, it was going to be based on science. And so um, our algorithm is driven by a number of factors, just like any predictor of its type. Obviously you've got weather and other things that go into it that have different weights 
based on what he was able to pull out of real research, not just by anecdotal stories or guessing or some guy who's hunted for 20 years in some part of the country. Um, that's all, that's all good. But, um, radio collars don't lie. Fetal surveys don't lie, all that kind of stuff. So I went um, back while, while you were talking and just typed in on my own, uh, website, Brian Murphy, and he pops up here from 2012. We're talking there you about, go. uh, uh, let's see. It seems like this one was about canned hunting and captive deer breeding. Um, but anyway, interesting that, uh, yeah, 2012. So he's been, he's been around for a minute for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, uh, the main man over at QDMA for mm -hmm. 20 years before he came to hunt stand. Um, obviously QDMA has now transitioned to become, um, the, uh, national deer association, national deer association, um, with Nick Pinizzotto and, and those guys who are still there. Um, but just to, to break it down in its simplest form, the reason why our white selectivity forecast is certainly the most accurate is because it's based on real data. And Brian took it upon himself to get with all of the states, state agencies and biologists in the whitetails range to accumulate the best possible data sets that they had uh, around whitetail breeding activity. Um, so that's how we were able to build out one of our map layers, which is the nationwide rut map. Um, so that nationwide rut map breaks down all the different stages of the rut, which, you know, if there's a scale of zero to a hundred, you're never going to see more whitetail activity than you do during the peak phase of the rut. That's just an indisputable fact. Right. Um, unless there's like some really crazy weather event or something that were to force them. Like, like this uh, movie I was watching the other night on, um, I think it was on some new movie on Netflix with Julia Roberts, where uh, there's some world event going on. And this little girl walks out in the backyard and there's like a hundred white tails standing there staring at oh. her. <laughs> and there's like all these flamingos are landing in their pool and stuff. There's like some kind of um, mm. extinction event about to occur and all the animals know. But unless unless something like that's going to happen, you pretty much can can bet that the rut is going to be when the most whitetails move. So, without knowing specifically when the rut occurs, um, and we've got it even down to a county level, there's no way that you can have the best predictor of whitetail movement, um, because you need to know exactly when those times are. Now that said, like I like I just mentioned, it is based off of the best available data that we were able to gather from every state agency. Some of it was higher level. And then some of it was down to him speaking to individual biologists from individual regions or counties. Um, but he did all that vetting. And like, I know where you were just at in Texas hunting, you had a discrepancy because you were right on a border mm -hmm. between two significantly different whitetail herds. But the data that he got from the state of Texas um, and which he is, by the way, is digging, still digging further into to see if we can refine it a little bit more, but you just happen to be right on a border. So nothing's perfect. And there's still a long ways to go with whitetail science. We all know that. I mean, look at, look at uh, CWD, for instance, we have barely even started to scratch the surface on that for real research up until the last five years, because there was no funding for it. Hmm. So 
even though whitetail is the number one game animal in the world and we've been researching them for decades, we still got a ways to go. There's still some mysteries. Oh boy. You brought up one of my favorite topics, uh, CWD. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, intentional misinformation out there. I hate that term too. I think that's a made up leftist term, but there's a lot of uh, faulty stats and ideals being pushed by, well, by and large, uh, state wildlife agencies. I don't understand why, but I want to get into that after the break. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. I put some out the other day. I guess it was uh, last weekend. And literally within six hours, had two bucks that had not been in the area in weeks coming in there. Got a picture of one with just an absolute snoot full of Big and J. It was like he was snorting crack, but for deer. Uh, that was the BB squared, and you can find their entire lineup of whitetail attractants at BigandJ.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Favorites there from Rich O'Toole, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for being here, as we are still visiting with Hunt Stands, Josh Dalkey, and uh, we'll get back into that discussion. Uh, I think we're going to take on CWD, <laughs> one of my favorite topics here in just a second. Uh, this segment, though, is proudly brought to you by Stealth Cam. And the Deceptor Cellular Camera, the gold standard in nighttime imaging. Uh, of course, you don't give up anything on the, the daytime side of things, but uh, the no-glow technology is impeccable. The photos are like nothing you've seen. And you can pick one up. They're not expensive. I think they're like 125 bucks. Uh, and then data plans as cheap as $5 a month. You can find it at StealthCam.com. Uh, Josh, before the break, you hinted at... The fact that we don't know everything about white-tailed deer yet, and uh, that's even more apparent when it comes to chronic wasting disease. And since you opened up Pandora's box, uh, let's go ahead and get right down to it. Our state wildlife agency just, uh, they pretty much just stepped in it. And uh, I'll explain why, because at the Kerr Wildlife Management Area, their own facility, which has been in operation since the mid-1950s, um, they just found a CWD positive deer. 
I believe it was like a two and a half year old uh, whitetail. And the thing is, is that they don't bring deer in out of that facility. Those are all deer. They're born there. They are not moving deer around. And so that flies in the face of what they're saying here in the Lone Star State and, and that deer breeders are responsible for the spread of CWD. Well, how the hell did it get in your own backyard if you're not bringing deer in and out? And so they've justifiably taken a lot of heat for that because they've been, I don't want to say meddling, but uh, overseeing the deer breeding industry and deer movement in uh, Texas very strictly for the last 15 years, specifically. Live testing, post-mortem testing, ear tags, tattoos, all of this, you know, and then you, you, you have it pop up in your own facility and, and you can't explain it. So uh, they ended up killing all the deer. Not a, not a single other deer tested positive in that herd, by the way. It was just the one. So going back to what you said, of we still are just scratching the surface. That was a perfect example of that shouldn't have happened if it is what you said it is. So what is it? How does it, how does it occur? Who knows? Yeah, that's, the, that's one of the hardest parts about science, science-based management is science is always a work in progress. Yeah we're always testing new hypotheses and this and that. And like, you just got to learn and adapt. It's when you, when you stick to your guns with old information, that doesn't get anybody anywhere. Um, what, why do you think the state of Tennessee's, why do you think they lied about CWD positive tests? Did you hear about that? You know what? I heard about it in passing. Uh -huh. I didn't dig deep enough into it to be able to make any education. I mean, to me, it just says there's money right there's on some level and it's like all politics right uh wildlife management's not immune from politics getting involved or money like oh yeah there, there's no doubt about that i can't me, i was like i didn't understand why you would fake these positive tests unless there's some financial benefit somewhere for somebody or for the agency i don't know but cwd is it is certainly the biggest hot button issue in the whitetail community and i don't see that changing in the near future it is a hot button issue and, and on a personal level um you know i i i fear for it because of situations like what you just said um i don't necessarily fear for it because of the actual scientific or biological implications i fear about how it's going to be manipulated and bastardized for um different agendas and namely yeah. it worries me that the the animal rights movement might use that to their advantage at some That's a great point, point. Like, trying to scare yeah. people about consumption of deer if you even put that thought I, i've brought this up to numerous people some agree some don't but um if you even if you even just plant that seed in someone's head who is either not engaged or on the fence about something like that that's all it takes if you got mm. if you got five million deer hunters who go deer hunting one weekend a year and they could kind of take it or leave it and the next thing you know their wife's driving to work. She sees a billboard on the highway that just says, is your deer meat safe with a image of a lady holding a kid and a, a dad bringing in a, some deer that he just harvested. Mm. How much is it really going to take for those guys to not go hunting anymore? All yeah. it's going to take is one little provocation of doubt. So do you think you've ever eaten a CWD positive deer? I don't think I ha I could have. Right. So That's the point. Right? Yeah. You don't know. I don't know. I, I probably haven't. 
but I don't know. And but there are a lot of guys in the Midwest who probably have, and oh, yeah. it sure. didn't kill them because it's never jumped the shark yet, as far as uh, being transmitted from a cervid to a human. So where why is what's with the fear mongering like from th those billboards that you're describing right there like i get it if we're, we're well they don't exist yet it. i'm just saying i sure hope that they right. don't right but they could but it would yeah. be totally uh you know misinformation that's all it would be because it's yeah. not a real thing as far as it hasn't happened yet and i guarantee you a lot of whitetail hunters have eaten cwd positive deer i'd say there's a 50 50 chance that i have uh probably a lot of people i know have now that said, would I knowingly eat one? I would I, not. No. Right. I mean, why would you? Why would you? I've I've talked to very well educated. There, I've seen a split on that too. I've talked to people who are super know more about it than me, who said they would eat it. Um, I'm, I'm not at the camp. If there's I had, anything questionable, I don't I don't screw with it. My buddy brought me back some halibut that he caught in Alaska. Giant halibut, beautiful steaks full of worms yeah like, you can cook it and the worms aren't going to hurt you you can also cook ducks with rice breast and it's not going to hurt you but i can see it and i'm not knowingly going to eat a parasite that i can see in the food like i'm just this is gross like i'm not doing that yeah i'm not about that life either myself and I'm, <laughs> I'm big into eating and cooking wild game that's I, i've spent a lot of my career actually like writing recipes and stuff so i'm pretty passionate about it but not enough to knowingly eat something mm. that so what do you think about this so uh I guess I'm going to cook it for dinner tonight. Um, I shot a couple ring necks the other day. And uh, that's not a very, if you, I don't know if you've ever duck hunted, but it's not yeah. a desirable yep. duck for the table. I've killed I them. left the skin yeah. on them. And I'm going to just do a little, like, uh, I've got um, a uh, an apple jalapeno glaze I'm going to put on them. And we'll just, we'll just see. I've also got a green wing teal right there next to it. I'm going to, like, compare and contrast. Because it's been a long time. When I first started duck hunting, I didn't know that the ducks tasted any different until I did. Yeah. And so ever since then, the ringnecks have just gone in the, you know, grind it or jerky it bag, you know. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I, I only shot one. And I was like, this isn't enough to grind or whatever. I'm just going to leave the skin on and really see if it's as bad as I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am not too proud to say that Man, I've I've tried waterfowl a lot of different ways, and um, I mean, like I've had a little bit of success with like wood ducks, uh, grilling wood ducks, and that sort of thing. But by and large, I'd be lying if I said that I've cooked a bunch of really delicious waterfowl. Um, mm. I've, I've I've had some, but overall, I've struggled with it, and I've tried a lot of different things. I mean, think about the best thing you can do with anything that has a little bit stronger flavor is some type of brine where you, you impart flavor into it. But that's, uh, if you're talking about just the true test, salt and pepper and throwing it on a grill or frying it up. I mean, maybe I won't put the glaze on there just so we can really get the honest, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put the, I would put the glaze on there. You already, <laughs> you already know what you're up against. Just put the glaze on there. Yeah. Uh, oh man. <laughs> um, Turkey, see, what, like what jerk, other turkeys and goose pastrami? Oh, oh that's, yeah, that's legit. my buddy uh, lives in Missouri. He comes down here to hunt um, feral hogs and ducks with 
me and another buddy every uh, January. And he takes the, uh, they do a lot of conservation snow goose hunting there. And so he brings me a big batch of, you know, goose pastrami from those conservation hunts. And it's killer. I love it. Yeah. No, to be honest with there, so it's, um, it's not like I, I shouldn't have generalized too much before when I said waterfowl. I've actually, I've had some really good luck with snow goose, which get a terrible rap. Um, Sky carp. Yep. Well, <laughs> yes. The nickname of, of Sky Carp and all that. Uh, and to be honest with you, depending on what my mood is, perhaps my my favorite wild game is is wild hog. I absolutely love it. I just made some last week. I made ginger teriyaki. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. I've ever fed it to is like blown away. Um, but also those get a bad rap. I feel like those fall in the same camp. Um, people want to have an excuse to kill a pile of snow geese and not feel obligated to do anything with them. And people want to be able to kill, eradicate hogs because they're a real problem and not feel the guilt of having to, to do something with them. So I don't feel any guilt. I'm not going to lie. Now a snow goose. Yes. But like, if you live in Texas, there's, there's, I've killed in the last, uh, I don't know, since deer season started seven pigs that weighed between 180 and 220 pounds. I can't eat all those. And oh, yeah, here's yeah. the reality. Like everyone's like, well, you should call someone and like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. Let me get them on standby. And you know, right. And they can drive three and a half hours to the lease and come get it. And is, and especially like it's colder right now, but especially if you were, if you're say you're thermal hunting in the spring or summer, that thing's spoiled in an hour. Like yep. it's just not, a, it's not a real solution. You can't donate dead feral hogs to hunters for the hungry like you can whitetail um because of brucellosis uh, and um trichinosis so i like eating them right but i there's, there's just i'd have to buy three more freezers to put the damn things in absolutely yeah that's it's a whole not it's a whole different problem uh, that's what i'm trying to say like be honest about it like if you're not if you're just going to go eradicate them then eradicate them. they need to be yeah. but don't say it's because they taste like crap now snow geese uh, I'll, I'll take a i'll take a wild hog over a snow goose any day but i've actually <laughs> had really good luck with uh eating snow geese um even more than canada's and more than several species of ducks that i've tried because i heard the same thing like oh these things are the worst mm-hmm. now i'm still doing a, a decent amount of duck hunting and i'm like well they you know they couldn't be any worse than like a a ring neck or right. other divers or something and sure enough man i i thought they were great just cooked a medium rare made some like uh some kind of it was like blueberry reduction or something or raspberry reduction yeah. like, I'm in like on that. super good yeah but, yeah, yeah just, just if you're gonna do something just be honest about it yeah doesn't mean you're well, wrong it's like that uh 321 inch deer that the 94 year old lady just shot here in texas that's been misreported by nra outdoor life i think uh outdoor channel maybe even field and stream all posted it was a free-ranging you know native deer no that lady's last name is barry her son owns barry whitetails they breed deer they sell deer they sell deer semen every deer that she's ever entered and she is a she is in like the muy grande deer contest hall of fame 94 years old and she's still out there killing deer kudos to laura barry for that but let's not misrepresent what the deer is. If that deer was truly a free range buck, 
it would smash our state record by 40 inches from the uh, 1892 Brady Buck, which scored 282. And then we had another deer picked up in Junction, Texas in 1925 that scored 272. Nobody knows who shot that deer. Might have just been a deadhead. And then the biggest hunter killed buck in Texas was in 2013 in Houston County by Mark Lee. And it was like 268 and four eighths. And then you have this 321 inch deer and everyone's like, it's the biggest deer ever killed. No, 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 no. It's, it's a, it might've been born in the pasture, but that pasture is high fenced. You know, yeah. it is what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Be, be fair to the animals, man. Whatever they're, whatever they're capable of producing is what they should be given credit for. That's like, like the deer that I told you about, you're probably like the one that I shot this year. Um, probably like, oh, that's really not that big in the scheme. Oh, 157. That's uh, my my biggest free range whitetail I shot in South Texas. It was just barely over 157. Yeah, it's a great buck. Yeah, a lot of people. I mean, it's yeah, especially now with with the way that the speed at which information travels. It's like you open your feed and it's like. 180, 180, 180, 180, 200, 200, 200, 170, 180. Like, but man, I've actually been thinking a lot about that lately. And it's just, uh, I don't know, I man. Can, I can tell accurate. you based off of my, let's just say last six or seven years of, uh, of really hardcore whitetail hunting. And I can, I can tell you, I have hunted four bucks that have been like on my own leases, right. That have been over 155 inches and I've killed zero of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I got, I like, I know I had a 180. I've, I know I've had one in the one seventies. I had a freak in Oklahoma that, and some of it, you know, some of it was, well, I think one time was really my fault because I went in, I had this 180 something buck coming in. Not every day. And this was in October. And then I was like, but the cow, there were cows on the place and the cows were also coming in. And when they were there, he wasn't coming. No, no deer were coming. So I was like, I'm going to fix that. Cause I'm going to put up hog panels around this feeder. That way the does will always be there. And when the rut hits here in two weeks, he's going to be there. He never, he never came back ever. He saw those hog panels gone. And he was the kind of deer where in that area, if somebody would have shot him, like we, nobody knows what happened to the deer. I showed the neighbors pictures. They never saw him. And they were like, and they live there. And they're like, if, if somebody shot this deer, we'd know about it. Yeah. Like, we've never seen that deer. Yep. And then another one in Oklahoma, they sold the property out from under me while I was in there hunting. They changed the locks. And I was like, what in the world? I didn't even know that they'd sold it. So that was a S show. That's rough. Yeah. And then I had a one in the county I live in that uh, was in the 170s. And that was the archery only. It was only 20 acres. So the deer didn't live there, right? He's just passing through. Mm-hmm. And that it turned out to be very difficult to try to be on the property when he was on the property. So <laughs> I, I had talk about a lot of cell cameras trying to figure out where he was coming onto the property. I had like seven or eight cell cams on twenty acres. <laughs> never, never did, never did see that deer on the hoof. But and it's <clears> funny because they're not they're, easy to kill. No, they're 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 the ultimate survivor. I was just uh, pheasant hunting yesterday all day i don't it's kind of a running joke i don't really bird hunt anymore at all um i don't know don't get me wrong i really do enjoy it while i'm out there i i I enjoy anything i'm doing while i'm while i'm out there it's not my jam i joke with my friends about i always give them 
when they're going bird hunting or whatever. Long story short, I couldn't deer hunt this weekend for some reasons. And my buddy invited me to go pheasant hunting. So I was like, sure. So I, we went from dawn until dusk yesterday and we were hunting all like cattail sloughs and this big marsh country. So we're just pushing through jungle, looking for these birds. And man, it's just amazing to see the tunnel systems that the whitetails have carved out in these <laughs> spots. And I mean, there was deer sign everywhere, but where they where they can survive, it's it's more like where can't they survive? You know, yeah. I mean, they are the most adaptable survive survivor as a big game species, and it just never ceases to amaze, man. They're they're unreal. I think them and coyotes are the two that are in North America. It's like yeah. it doesn't matter if it's an urban setting or rural or in the mountains, out west, it makes no difference. They're yeah. going to be there. You know, it's like they're scrappers. Resilient indeed, my friend. Uh, let's take care of our last break. We'll come back and really hone in on some of the unique features that HuntStand has to offer. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Mom got drunk and dad got drunk at a Christmas party. We were drinking champagne punch and homemade eggnog. Little sister brought her new boyfriend. He was a Mexican. We didn't know what to think of him. Tell us thank. Of course, it had to be Robert Earl King wrapping things up for us today here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms, Cable Smith, riding shotgun as always. And we've still got Hunt Stands, Josh Dalkey here with us. Uh, we will get back into that conversation in just a second. This segment, though, brought to you by my good friends over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for I'm doing the math here, 14 years. <laughs> it's been a long time. I trust them. They do amazing work from uh, white-tailed deer to entire African safaris, full-body-mounted wolf, uh, Aaron's favorite, right? No, I'm just kidding. She hates that. Um, and uh, one that she does like, though, is her 43-inch snook replica that Becky did for her. Uh, but whatever the case, if it's going on the wall, they'll take care of you, and you can find them at gr the number eight mounts.com tell them i sent you with that being said let's wrap it up here with josh dalkey so how much does it cost if you wanted to uh check out hunt stand and are there different levels that you can pay for yeah so we we still do have a a free version that actually has um quite a bit of functionality like you can still use it for 
basic mapping and um, laying out hunt areas and, you know, saving all your markers and drawing perimeters and lines and all that kind of stuff. Couple different, uh, couple different layers for for aerial views. Um, it's pretty robust functionality in that for being a free product, to be honest with you. And then and from there, you go up to HuntStand Pro, which adds some things on top of that. So, for instance, with HuntStand Pro, um, you get the nationwide property information, so the boundaries and the landowner information. Um, you That's get important like a, for knocking on doors. Hugely important. I, I do a ton of door knocking, ton, and I have really, really good success, actually. Um, but, but, yeah, I've, I've been able to get some incredible permission with that. And when you can go up to someone's door and ask for that person by name, it is like an immediate icebreaker. You know, especially mm-hmm. when you're in the country and you're dealing with, you know, s- some older school people or and not just older school, but like older people, which is a lot of the people I run into, like retired folks who've never seen a hunting app. When you can roll up there and ask for them by name, it's it's a great icebreaker. Um, mm-hmm. And if you even just if you even just have a little bit of knowledge of their property going into it, sometimes that'll that'll ignite a little bit of a spark in them because you're not just like blindly going up hey can i hunt your property like if you if you can schmooze with them a little bit about it and say yeah it looks like that back corner of timber you have right there um i see there's a little creek maybe you ever see any turkeys back there like you can you can start to shoot the with them right away and it helps so it's not just uh it's not just being able to see where the lines are being able to have their name and be able to uh go into the conversation with something is is pretty nice but also in hunt stand pro um We've got some other uh, other types of map layers like uh, detailed public hunting lands and uh, the national aerial imagery layer, which is super high resolution aerial imagery in most cases, uh, higher quality than what we get what we're able to source through Google Maps. Um, 3D, I could go on and on about 3D, but I use it a lot, and I'm not just talking about for Western mountain hunts where there's a lot of terrain. But it can be even probably more useful in areas where there's less terrain because it's it's easy to identify all these little nooks and crannies that you would otherwise overlook if you're just looking at flat aerial imagery. So when you flip it into 3D mode, you just take your two fingers, you tilt the map, and then you can just fly around almost just like you're in a drone or something. And you can see all the little subtle changes in the landscape. So is that how you are finding, because you were telling me earlier off the air how you implement hunt stand in locating bedding areas after most of the vegetation has already, you know, fallen off the trees and shrubs and everything. So for me, for, for whitetails, I use 3d more. So trying to uh, consider like a entrance and exit routes for myself, like mm-hmm. how I can get into spots without being seen where I think the deer are going to be, but then also considering how the deer might travel um because you know how it is like the more subtle the terrain the more pronounced their their travel routes can be so like you find one little even when i was out pheasant hunting yesterday like all just the little subtle um just rolls and creases and stuff you you look at a a field like a crp field from the road and it looks flat and you get out there and you see these there's all these little subtleties and sure enough along all of them you're going to find a deer trail um 
And when it's even more limited, it funnels that activity even more because they don't have a lot of options. So for whitetails, I like to use 3D for that. Um, for the bedding areas, like you're talking about, that's another thing that we have um, monthly satellite imagery, which is also in HuntStand Pro. And you can literally go back. I don't know how far it goes back. It goes back years, but you can go back month by month and look at any spot and you'll have a monthly uh, snapshot of what that place looked like during that month. And so like with, with bedding areas, that's very helpful for looking at a spot during the time of the year when you, when you have the least amount of foliage, mm-hmm. um, least amount of veget- vegetative growth, because you're going to see the plants that do persist and you're going to see where those high stem count areas are for bedding areas vividly. Um, because it's going to show those darker pockets. And if you're just looking at regular satellite imagery, a lot of times you wouldn't even be able to recognize those differences, those little nuances. Um, sometimes you can, it's a little easier, but like you look at that monthly satellite, like around here, usually about April, May, once the snow is melted, or even sometimes when the snow is on the ground, still it can help because it gives real contrast. And then you can see, okay, in this timber, like where are the dark spots that are still there at the worst point of the year, the, the harshest mm-hmm um time of the year and i'll bet you a million dollars that if there are deer in the area and you find one of those spots and you go walk in there during the winter you're gonna find beds and you're gonna find uh the browse line is gonna be like every little bud of browse is gonna be eaten nipped off and eaten off um like it's just it's a no-brainer so it can actually like if you're going to do some late season scouting, whether you're in somewhere with snow or not, you can go into these spots um, rather than just like going and canvassing and grid search, grid searching and gridding out an area to try to get like that late season view. You can, if you only have so much time, you can do it with purpose. So you can go in there, start with that monthly satellite view and be like, all right, this is probably where these deer have been spending a lot of their time late season. Mm. And then that's, you know, a lot of those spots are the same security cover that they're going to use throughout the year because they're going to be the densest hell holes on a property, especially as soon as any amount of hunting pressure is applied. Um, so it's not just a late season thing. It's yeah. Well, and it's not just whitetail either. I mean, this no. is how I, I was telling you, like, the first thing I'm going to do when planning an elk hunt is look for those, you know, saddles on uh, north facing slopes and and you're gonna find bedded elk in there that's just that you know that's where they live yeah and um you can obviously use the mapping app to basically just lead you right to where the elk are gonna be and i've done it it, and it doesn't mean you're gonna kill them but you're gonna find them (laughs) yeah at least you're at least you're not going out there blind i mean that's the that's the biggest especially out west when you're dealing with massive countries and someone new who's going out there for the first time you can sit there and look at regular aerial imagery all day long when you get there it can be real intimidating like Mm -hmm. to the point where the first time you go for a walk you're like how am i gonna where do i even start how do i do this like it's i've seen the look on people's faces and i can kind of remember mine like the first few times i went out there it's like it's just a whole different playing field so if you can if you can have some starting points that at least like psychologically help get you going you know if you go out there with a blank slate or not the right type of information 
you're like, oh, that doesn't look anything like I thought it did. It's way farther. It's way harder to get to or whatever. Like, you know, that sucks. That is a bad feeling when you when you're like, this is not what I thought it was. But yeah. the more time you spend, like you mentioned saddle, like elk, north facing slopes. Well, flip it into 3D, cruise around some area that, you know, is accessible from where you're going to park. Find that saddle, find that saddle that that is oriented so it has a north facing slope and then maybe go look at the monthly satellite and you know you, you identify a number of those spots maybe there's a burn by one of them like mm. it's just honing just just honing it down and and running it through that funnel and then what are your a spots b spots c spots d spots i mean you can apply that same process to everything even down to those those piddly turkeys that i like to screw with that people <laughs> right think is ridiculous but it's all kind of the same process. Yeah. Where are the hardwoods by water? That's where the turkeys usually are going to be. <laughs> yeah. Like I do a, I do an e-scouting. I've done a few e-scouting seminars for turkeys. And I mean, it's no matter where you are, it's the same thing. Terrain, big enough trees to roost in, a water source, and a good, reliable, like, what we would call a whitetail hunting, I guess a, a destination food source. If you can find all those things, there's going to be turkeys. If you're in an area that's just limited on all those things in general, and you can find trees and water and there's turkeys around, there's going to be turkeys, like whatever is the biggest limiting factor, you know? And so wait, what did you tell us what it cost though for the uh, pro? I don't remember. I, I definitely didn't and I wasn't avoiding it because it's going to be like sticker shock. It's quite the opposite. So for HuntStand Pro, $30 a year, you get all that stuff and some more that I hadn't talked about um, for $30 for the whole country. So you look at some of our competitors and it's more around like $100 for the whole country. But even just the property information alone, $29.99 for all 50 states property information. Dude, I remember when we're going back to those SD cards from Onyx, like those were like 50 uh, per yeah. state, maybe a hundred. I don't state. remember. It was a lot of money for once. I was like, yeah, my New Mexico chip card. Thank God. This was cost a lot of money. You know, like now you get the whole thing at your fingertips for 30 bucks. Well, yeah, those things were even more the Holy grail because you actually had to go out there to put, to mark your shit. Like yeah. there weren't even, there wasn't aerial imagery in, in those GPSs. It was just a pretty basic screen with the most basic maps. And I remember like I did some handoffs and there were, I remember there was also for a while, there were like, there were, uh, there were people selling those, like making a business out of it. Like they were going up <laughs> pre-scouting areas and then uh, selling those chips to people who wanted to go yeah. on. Like, there were, there were a couple companies that was like, that was part of their main offering. Like, Hey, buy these buy these uh micro sd chips for your gps for your next hunt that you're going to go on yeah I'm sure they probably couldn't keep up with the demand at the time yeah well cool stuff man uh like i said i've enjoyed using it and uh, this obviously being the inaugural season for me using this product um but uh super excited i think the integration with the trail cameras is um i haven't really started to implement that yet but i was telling you man i have like I don't know, 12 cell cameras across two leases, one in Texas and one in Oklahoma. So that's going to be invaluable as far as that information. And then uh, and the Command Pro app already will, like a relatively new feature, 
it already tells you what you're looking at. So it can categorize a white-tailed buck, feral hog, coyote, turkey, whatever it is that is in the photo. Now that the technology, another way that technology is advanced, it now can identify what it the photo what's in the photo oh a cow okay we'll trash that you know we don't want cattle we don't want to save that whatever it is it can and then you can categorize it however you want which um is invaluable as far as not having to wade through thousands of photos yeah it's such a game changer man uh that, mm-hmm. that filtering like right now late season here it's just a matter of are they moving during daylight at all or not and mm-hmm. i'm getting a ton of photos and I'm at this point, you're kind of getting burned out on just every morning I get my update for Wisconsin. Say, <laughs> I'm just like, mm-hmm. scroll, scroll, scroll. So it's like, no, you don't have to do that. Like coming down to the wire, just filter it for bucks only during legal shooting hours. And you're going to get your answer pretty quick. You know, is there anything out there moving or is mm-hmm. it probably not worth your time? Um, so yeah, the that filtering is sweet. And I guess I should mention we went through kind of HuntStand Pro, which is at $30 a year. But then we do have the HuntStand Pro Whitetail tier, which is if you're a whitetail hunter, that's the next level. And that's what's going to give you access to the whitetail activity forecast, the nationwide rut map, and uh, also like a whitetail habitat layer. Um, which that was probably super expensive. For Pro Whitetail, Yeah, it's still... It's it's sixty nine ninety nine, so it's seventy bucks. Oh my god! For the whole no, I'm just kidding. It's not, it's a drop <laughs> in the bucket. Like it's that's what one chip cost like years ago. One yeah, chip. and like I said, competitively, you know, if you look at, I'm not just trying to shill hunt stand, but like our feature set is pretty unbelievable between all the map layers and then these these deeper features like uh, the white activity forecast and 3D 3D on all platforms. By the way, we were the first to have that on both mobile and desktop for Android, mm-hmm. Apple, and desktop. Um, our competitors all started at desktop and they were hung there for a while. So we've had 3D the longest. Shout out to HuntStand. Right. Well, yeah, I'm excited it. about it, man. Every every time I open it, there's something else, you know, something else to play with to try to figure out how to utilize because there's it's, it's just a, a vast resource. I appreciate your time today and uh, congrats on that monster minnesota buck i appreciate it man yeah it's been great visiting i look forward to the next time all right good luck with the rest of your season so there you have it josh dalkey of hunt stand uh really enjoyed visiting with him just on all things hunting there today uh that segment of the show brought to you by all seasons feeders and the 600 pound stand and fill uh yeah no more ladders no more backing your truck up just stand there and fill the dang feeder they also have it in 300 and 1,000 pound denominations if you would prefer more or less. Uh, but whatever floats your boat, it's the stand and fill. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Thanks to Josh. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time. I'm Cable Smith saying Merry Christmas to you and yours, and y'all have an awesome week in the great outdoors. I kept them with me, babe. I put them with my own. Can't make it all alone. I built my dreams around you. The boys in the NYPD chorus are singing, go away, babe. And the bells are ringing out. For Christmas Day